Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us what Noah was busy preaching and preparing in his walk with God as the world around him was corrupt. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from yesterday's message. Depressing, that's what the literal meaning of the word is, themselves down into a state of moral corruption. that name like that. You very much need that name to save you, and you don't want to be throwing that name in the dirt. God is lifting the lids of the pots of our minds, and he's seeing what's cooking. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. What are you imagining? What are we imagining? God's looking at that. What are we purposing to do? That's God's looking at that. What are our intentions? What do we love? What do we delight in? What do we hate? All that God is doing is he lifts up the lid and looks inside. Now, why does God do that? Does God really do that? He does. Why does he do that? He lifts it because he said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed, and that Greek word means rises like aromas, Proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So he lifts the lid on the pot of our minds because he realizes, as he said in 1 John 3.15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. It doesn't say whosoever hateth his brother will be a murderer. It says whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So just like at Uncle Stanford's when I wanted to find out what's for dinner, I went over and lifted the pot. When God wants to find out who we are and what we'll do, he lifts the pot on our minds. And he lifts the pot because he cares, because he loves, because he created us, because he owns us. Every single person he owns. And so he lifts it up and he looks inside and he wants to see what did we choose to put in that pot? And God has provided good things for us to put in the pot. He's provided us his word, the word of God, good things in the word of God. He wants us to put that in the pot of our minds. But we make the decision. He wants us to choose the right things, but we make the decision. Because he knows that if we put the good things of his word in the pot of our minds, then out will come the fruit of the Spirit. That'll be a good thing. So now it says, as you see here in Genesis 6, 8, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 5, God saw. Verse 12, God looked. And so we see here, God was looking very hard. He was looking very hard for anyone who would repent and turn to him. And he keeps looking every day. And anyone turning from his sin today, and he's looking every single day. Now, what a contrast this is when you consider Genesis 1.31, where you remember it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So that's Genesis 1.31. That's the last verse in Genesis 1. It says, God saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. Think of that verse, Genesis 1.31, with the verse in front of us, Genesis 6.12, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. In the Hebrew, there's no difference in the way those two verses start. 
uh, saw and looked are the same word. It's exactly the same words. They both start off with Vayar Elohim et. So in other words, God looked, but what he found was drastically different. Verse 31 of Genesis 1, behold, it was very good. Verse 12 of Genesis 6, behold, it was corrupt. So God was busy evaluating the thoughts and imaginations of the hearts of men before the flood. Now, next thing we see in verse 3, his day shall be 120 years. His day shall be 120 years. We remember from 2 Peter 3.20, it said, The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. Long-suffering waited. His day shall be 120 years. That's what it describes. The commentary for Genesis 6.3, that his day shall be 120 years, is 2 Peter 3.20, when it says that during that time, that was the long suffering of God waiting. Sometimes it's very hard to wait. I don't like to wait. It takes a lot of energy. And then it says in Romans 2.4, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Isaiah 28.21 says, talks about the judgment over Israel. He says, for the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim. He shall be wroth, that means angry, wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act, and that's judgment. So God calls judgment his strange work. God calls judgment his strange act. Why? He doesn't want to do it. God does not want to judge man. God never wanted to bring the flood judgment on the earth, but man pushed him into it. Man pushed God. Man pushed God too far. So, before the flood, the second thing we see God doing is busy making a space of time for man to repent. Busy being long-suffering, busy waiting, busy trying to lead men, to lead sinners to repentance. And then we see in verse 13, the third thing that God was doing, God said unto Noah, but that's where it starts, in Genesis 6, 13, God said to Noah. So God was busy talking to Noah. He was talking to Noah about what? He was talking to Noah about judgment that was coming. He was talking to Noah about why judgment was coming. He was talking to Noah about building the ark of salvation. He was making him a promise to save him and anybody who went with him, his family and anyone who would come into the ark. Summary. Number one, he was busy looking into men's hearts and their imaginations and their thoughts for any repentance. Number two, he was busy creating a space to repent. He was busy waiting. He was busy long-suffering, waiting for man to repent because he didn't want to judge the earth. And number three, he was busy talking to Noah to prepare for salvation from judgment and preach to others so that they can be saved. That's what he was telling Noah. Now, last, what was Noah doing during the flood? First of all, number one, we found from Hebrews 11.6, in speaking in the context of Noah, that he that come to God must believe that he is, and they are the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Noah was busy believing that God was, and Noah was busy diligently seeking God. That's how come he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he was, number one, he was seeking God and believing. Number two, Genesis 6.9, Noah was a just man. He was a just man. He was keeping himself clean from the filthy world that was around him. That was the second thing he was doing. 
Genesis 6, 9, it also says that Noah was perfect. Or tamim, it means a whole or complete. So he was Noah, number three. Noah was busy keeping himself wholehearted for God. He was busy keeping himself from becoming half-hearted for God. Not letting himself slip into a half-hearted routine of just being religious. And then it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, it says in 2 Peter 2, 5, a preacher of righteousness. So the earth, by the way, at that time, as we've seen, was a violent place. It was a dangerous place to go into. There's places in Tijuana that you don't want to go into. That's the way the whole earth was. It was brutally violent. It was not a safe thing for Noah to go and preach to them. But he was busy preaching. And what was he preaching? Was he preaching, now I lay me down to sleep? No, he didn't suppose preaching. He was preaching, the world is corrupt. He was preaching, all flesh has corrupted itself. He was preaching, the end of the world is near. The end of all flesh is coming. He was preaching, violence is filling the earth. And he was preaching, God is going to destroy the earth. And he was also preaching, and there's an ark if you believe that. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen, moved with fear, and as you said, John, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. See? So, as obvious, he was very busy building an ark. But the strongest sermon that Noah preached, that Noah ever preached, was the sermon he preached with his hammer. Because he said all these things, but when people went to see Noah, and they saw him swinging that hammer to build that ark, they realized, this man's taking this stuff seriously. That was the strongest sermon he ever preached was when he was preparing the ark. That's why it says in Hebrews eleven seven that he prepared an ark, and it says, by the which he condemned the world. That was his message in building the ark, that he condemned the world. Now, the other thing that he did in um, number five, it says, you mentioned Kevin, Genesis 6, 9, Noah walked with God. He walked with God. So Noah was busy walking with God. He was busy walking with God. During those 120 years when Noah was building the ark, we never read that Noah wavered. We never read that Noah vacillated. We never read that he was double-minded or half-hearted. Why not? Because he was busy walking with God. That's a very interesting phrase, to walk with God. To walk with God does not mean to sprint with God. It's easy to, sometimes it's easy to sprint with God, as long as it's not too far. I mean, there are times in our lives when we feel just on top of the world. You know, we wake up and say, boy, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay. Oh, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. You know, plenty of sunshine and it's heading my way. So sometimes we feel that way, but there are times, and that happens, sometimes we wake up and we really feel like loving the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens. We say, praise the Lord, and we have a burst of energy, a burst of effort, and we sprint for a short time. That's not hard, but that usually doesn't last. But that's why it doesn't say he sprinted with God. Or ran with God. But he walked with God. Walking is meaning consistency. That's far more difficult, requires a different frame of mind. A walk does not require a burst of energy, but it requires some conservation of energy. I mean, a walk requires a steady pace. That's the key. Spiritually speaking, that is what we need. 
Tom, today you talked about how Noah walked with God. Can you give us a detailed description from Scripture on what it means to walk with God? Yes, it's very important to walk with God. And Noah has walked with God, and that's an example for us, and that's given to us in Scripture. Not so we just read about it, but that's so we do that. We God wants us to walk with Him. First step. Before anybody can walk with God, they must have a relationship with God. They have to agree with God. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? So there has to be this fundamental agreement between anyone and God before they can walk together. And what do they have to agree on? First of all, Isaiah 59.1 says, Your sins have separated you between you and your God. There is no walking with God while there's a separation from God. And so what is it that God says that we need to agree with? God says the problem is sin, sin, sin. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no walking with God until there is a dealing with the sin problem. How do you deal with the sin problem? He said that he has given blood for the atonement of sins in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. We have to, every anybody who wants to walk with God has to agree that he needs blood, a blood sacrifice in order to take care of the sin problem. His own good works is lo dainu, not enough to take care of the sin problem, but only the blood. What blood? The blood of the Messiah, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was shed in order to take away sins. John the Baptist said in John 1, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When he said the Lamb of God, it was very, very real, pulling up the image of the Passover Lamb. What happened to the Passover Lamb? His blood was shed. It was applied to the door. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean that God gave his only begotten Son? That means he was the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God that was slated to die, the Lamb of God who gave his life, the Lamb of God who died, the Lamb of God who shed his his blood. And what do I do in order to get rid of the sin problem? John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Who walks with God? Only the sons of God. How do I become a son of God? Only by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when a person gets authority to become the sons of God that believe on his name. What name? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is God, the Lord. He was the way that God saves, Jesus, God saves. He is Christ, the Messiah, sent by God. That, when a person fully puts their faith and trust in him as God, as the only Savior, then he becomes the sons of God, a son of God. Only a son of God has the, has the privilege to be able to walk with God. Second, to realize that we need to walk with God. Why do we need to walk with God? Because Jeremiah 17.9 says, 
Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When we realize that our heart is misleading us, it is causing us to become the Isaiah 53 description of all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. Why do we go astray and turn to our own way? Why do we follow the disastrous course that Frank Sinatra sung about when he said, I did it my way? Because our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only God knows our heart. So because our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, we need God. We need to walk with God. This is not a matter of, oh, it would be nice. This is a matter of our desperate need. Our hearts are desperately wicked. So we have a desperate need to walk with God. Jeremiah also said in Jeremiah 10, 23, he said, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We are in a very bad condition. Why? Because Jeremiah says uh, the way we should go is not in ourselves. When the world says, look within yourself, be introspective, the answer is hidden deep within you. Meditate and do yoga and bring out the way that you should go in yourself. Nonsense! That is the way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Why does man drive over the cliff? Because it seems right, but he doesn't see that the end of that is a disastrous landing in hell for eternity. And so we know that the way of man is not in himself. The way for our salvation came from God, not in ourselves. The way for us to walk and make decisions is not in us. We cannot direct our steps. We may a mess of our lives BC before before Christ in our lives. And so therefore, the great change is we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to look to God, the wonderful counselor, and he's going to direct our ways. How do we do that? By walking with him. There was a time in the history of the Jewish people, it's recorded in the book of Joshua chapter 9, when there was these men who came and they were enemies of the Jewish people and they were a problem for the Jewish people but they pretended to be different people from a long way away and they came with the clothes that was worn out and they came with the moldy bread and they came with the holes in their in their their wine bags and and God knew God knew and God was really ready to tell Joshua but all Joshua had to do was just to was just to to just Joshua and the elders all they had to do was just ask God and God says well I was waiting for you to ask but they didn't why not? Because they figured, it's okay, Lord, you can relax. I don't, we don't need you for this. We can handle this situation. And so they didn't ask counsel at the Lord, and they made a league, which they shouldn't have made, with these men. And the record is, in Joshua nine fourteen through 15, and the men took the victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. You see, that's a very bad situation. They ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Every day we should say to ourselves, Lord, I'm beginning my day, and I do not want this to be a day when I ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. I want this to be a day that every step I take as I go through my life here, my life of today, that my life of today should be I ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Lord, what should I do? 
Lord, tell me. Lord, I don't want to get to a situation where I say, oh, I'm in this mess because I didn't ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. I don't know. I don't know because it's not in me, Lord, to direct my to direct my steps. So I need you, so I walk with you. Next thing to realize is that the battle to walk with God is a day-by-day battle because it's a day-by-day walk. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 6, 33-34, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, the context for seek ye first verse is seek ye first the kingdom of God today and his righteousness today, and all these things shall be added unto you today. And don't think about tomorrow, because he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow. When he says therefore, it means that that's what he's talking about. He's talking about today is the battle. Today is the day to win the victory, to walk with God. Today is the day I'm going to walk with God. I'm not going to worry about walking with God tomorrow, because today is the day I got to work walk with God. And he says, sufficient unto the day is the evil that In other words, you got enough reasons, enough evil that's going to come to you today. That means you got to walk with God today. Now, how do we start the day in walking with God? We start the day in walking with God alone with God. This is vital. This is David put it this way, Psalm 5.3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Why was God going to hear David's voice in the morning? Because David made it his business that in that morning, first priority, you might put it like this, Bible before breakfast. First priority, he was saying, you're going to hear my voice in the morning. And then he expresses that it's not easy, that it's a battle that for him to do this. And so he uses these words, direct and will look up. He's saying in the morning, I will direct my prayer to you. Why does he have to direct his prayer? Because he is going to go, he wants to go in a different way. Why? Because that's the way we are. We got the metal bent in the wrong direction. And so in the morning, we bend it the way it should be. And how do we bend the metal in the right direction? By directing our prayer to God and looking up to God. And then a walk with God talks with God throughout the whole day. It's our secret conversation that we have with God, as it says in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer. Our lives should be character. Our daily walk with God lives should be characterized with a praying always. Praying always, everything. Lord, I just met this person. What would you have me say to this person? Lord, I just need a parking spot right now. Could you please direct me to a parking spot? Lord, I need you to provide this right now. I needed this right now. I need that. And Lord, you did. So thank you for that. In fact, I really want to praise you and worship you because you are such a loving, giving God. See, that's praying always with all prayer. It goes on inside of us. It's our secret life of prayer. And then finally, a walk with God finishes the day with God. God, finishes the day with God, taking time to say, Lord, before I put my head on this pillow, I just got one question. Were you happy with me today? It's reporting to God at the end of the day and saying, because if you were happy, that's all that matters. That's all, that's what David calls looking up and will look up. That's finishing the day with looking up to God. 
David put it in Psalm 63, 6, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. In other words, it's, 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 it's not the latest show on television you want to go to bed with on your mind, but the last thing on your mind should be the thought that God gave you in the morning. How did God speak to you in the morning? What did he give you by way of a precious thought? A scripture that you read or something about God that you just lay your head on the pillow and that's what puts you to sleep. And then the David says, so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, one thing very important in walking with God is we've got to get the straight who's leading. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. We're not the leader in the walk with God. God is the leader. The Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. And a walk with God is not a walk with the world. We cannot walk with the world and walk with God. James 4, 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. It is war with God. God. The friendship of the world is war with God. He says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. God does not walk with his enemies. And so he, God walks with his friends. So if we want to walk with God, we need to be a friend of God. If we're going to be a friend of God, we need to be not a friend of the world, the enemy of the world. That's how we walk with God. Thank you for joining us today. As the Friendship with God radio program impacted your life, would you like to let Tom Cantor know? You can send him an email directly by emailing him at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Now again, you can get a hold of all of Tom Cantor's resources and materials at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or again, if you want to reach a lost Jewish person, you can go online or call us today at one 800 247 Send a lost Jewish person a Tom Cantor DVD and booklet so that they can know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah as well. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051.